right. I think this is good. So first, um, yeah, so Christian greeting is not necessarily in the order of worship anymore, but we can still turn around and say hello and wave hands and, and kind of just give air hugs or whatever. And also I need to um, take the picture for who's here today. So we can do that. Otherwise I'll forget later. So can this wave, kind of wave to me over here? Cool. And then this side. There we go. Thank you. All right. So um, I think we'll start with this next slide. This happened yesterday. Yeah. So we had a lovely Friday rehearsal and dinner, and then the wedding, the ceremony yesterday was, was lovely all together. And this is a, a picture. They had one picture. You'll see it maybe later of everyone here with masks on. It was kind of a unique, you know, pandemic sort of picture. So anyway, so congrats to uh, Mike and Jennifer. It was great to celebrate with them yesterday. And I, they do plan to do some sort of reception, I think, next summer. So we're all invited to that. So uh, yeah, so, and then also the flowers. So there and then up here, uh, all from Hungry World Farms. So how about that? all the way from up north, about an hour and a half away, Hungry World Farm. So it's good to have them here. And uh, we've got Moses today, so we'll refer to him a bit later. He always comes out of the office if we say Moses. And uh, just a thing. <laughs> but it is good to be together. Um, and we are continuing our summer series called In the Beginning. Last week we had the opportunity to learn Learned the love story of Rebecca and Isaac and what a love story it was. Uh, so Rebecca and Isaac come together, and then last week we were invited to a renewed trust in a God who is faithful uh, to God's promises and his word, uh, to trust God with our, with our journey of life, even though we don't necessarily know where it's going sometimes, what the future holds, and to trust um, a God who is for you, who is with you, and wants desperately to provide for you. Uh, so that was last week with the story of uh, Isaac and Rebecca. This week, a story about twins. And I'm a twin. I think a lot of us know this, but I'm a twin, so I'm, I'm kind of excited about this kind of story. Uh, if anyone here has ever wrestled with how dysfunctional their family is or can be, perhaps this reading uh, of this story uh, will be an encouragement to you that you are not alone, okay? You are not alone. We have Isaac and Rebecca playing favorites, stealing of a blessing, an inheritance, distrust, trickery, uh, and the like. It looks more like a Jerry Springer show episode than anything else. Yet, as we walk through uh, this story this morning, an invitation to consider what does this story found in Genesis 25 uh, from near the beginning, okay, have to tell me, remind me about the God of the universe? Okay, so we hold that question. What is this story revealing about uh, to us, revealing for the first time, maybe even reminding us of, of the God of the universe? Um, and then as well as found within the characters of the story, okay? Um, what does the story tell, uh, say to me or remind me of who I am, who I am as well? So we kind of hold those two as we journey through our story. 
So let's begin with verse 24, and we'll, we'll kind of walk through this. When it came time for her, that is Rebecca, to give birth, uh, there were twin boys in the, in the womb. The first, uh, the first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Esau, like one would do. After this, his brother came out, and he, uh, his hand was grasping uh, Esau's heel, okay? So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to, to, to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Modern-day characters of this would be maybe Sasquatch for Esau and Emerald Lagasse for, for Jacob, maybe some uh, modern-day characters. <laughs> when Jacob, uh, sorry, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. Well, because Esau's going to bring in the kill of the day. He loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I am famished. That is why he was also called Edom. So we'll pause here. A couple of things to note, uh, and for that we'll go to a Hebrew word here, uh, for it will illuminate the text I think here this morning. So he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew, okay? And actually in the, in the Hebrew, it's, it's um, this, this word, um, Adam, and it's actually named, it's, it's Adam, 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 Adam. It's like back to back. So there's some emphasis. Give me some of that red stew, the red stew, the red stuff. Give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. I need it, I need it. So it's, 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 uh, it's labeled twice here. Now in the Hebrew language, uh, there's far fewer words uh, available that, uh, than we have in our English languages. So the words mean, can take on multiple meanings um, in the Hebrew. And Adam, uh, uh, sorry, Adam um, means, can mean many things. Uh, so it says, give me, the, uh, give me some of the red stuff, the red stuff. I need it. I have to have it. The word Adam primarily means red. Dom, a shortened version, is the Hebrew word for blood. So there's red, blood. See, there's a connection there. Adama means ground. And then, so, so it could be thought of as red soil, like western Oklahoma. Shout out to anyone from Oklahoma in the crowd. Okay. Uh, so um, Adama, um, this red soil. Adam, okay, coming from the ground, dirt-clawed man, okay, and, and so this is why we have Edom at the end. He is craving the red stuff. He is craving the red stuff. So why this cra- craving? The ancients believed that, that with things that were red, that uh, there was a source of life, okay? Uh, the ancients believed that life was in, in the blood. Now, blood is red, and so uh, it, it took on this sort of mystical understanding, this mystical thing. Uh, so we have this red stew, this red stew. Oh, it's, it's not just stew, it's red, okay? It's not just a Corvette, it's a red Corvette. See what I'm saying? So, uh, so this, this, it, it was uh, believed to have this mystical sort of life-giving property to it. So this red stew, uh, this, this mystical, mystical uh, life-giving properties, okay? Um, and in the end, 
what, what does Esau probably discover? In the end, it's just lentils, no matter what color it may be. So Esau is craving the red stuff, and, and Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die. I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is it for me, uh, is, is, the good, is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. Uh, so he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and he drank and he got up and left. And then it ends with this last statement. Uh, so Esau despised his birthright. He despised his birthright. So the interaction ends here, but the story of Jacob and Esau continues on through like Genesis chapter 33, and we're only in 25. So there's an ongoing story here uh, with even more plot twists and stealings of blessings and so on and so on, so on and so forth. Uh, but let's start by talking about birthrights uh, for the ancient Near East. Uh, we have to remember that this is an extremely communal culture. Unlike here in the West, where the emphasis is on the individual, liberty, freedom, I can do my own thing. Uh, this culture did not have an emphasis on the individual. Uh, but your tribe, your clan, your family was far, far more important. Your bloodline was of great importance in and, and carrying on the family name because survival in this culture wasn't a guarantee. Um, and uh, your bloodline comes with a great, has, a, has an honor to it, a dignity, some nobility. This birthright was everything. It was everything. This birthright represented your family. What you did, what you said, was not just a reflection on who you are, but your whole family. So if you send out a tweet, if you post on Facebook about some sort of controversial topic, people won't get mad or wonder just about you. They would attribute that to your whole family. The birthright would carry with it also um, uh, you know, an inheritance. This is land, property, livestock, slaves, um, all, kinds of, all kinds of wealth. However, the birthright was also connected to, uh, it had a spiritual connection as well. Your tribe, your clan, your family's connection to the divine. The birthright was how your family was tied. Your birthright was how blessed you are of God. How blessed you are of God. So what we have, uh, so what we have um, here is uh, Esau is essentially trading all of that birthright for a bowl of this red lentil soup. Now one here in this story, in the oral tradition, would have been shocked at this very action. Similar to the shocking story of the prodigal son, where the, he says, I want my inheritance now basically saying to his dad, I wish you were dead. So this is a shocking, this is, this is not what one would do. Okay, this is so out of the norm. But Esau trades it all away for a bowl of red lentil soup. Esau gives it all away, his future, um, uh, what, what he could be. You could even say maybe his destiny for a momentary craving of the red stuff. I'm so glad that this story is about Esau and not about me. In 
in reflecting on this idea of the birthright, I got to thinking about my own family of origin. Eugene and Joanne, right here. Um, that's my niece, Charlie, in the middle. But that's Eugene and Joanne, uh, born and raised in Sioux City. And uh, I am a twin, twin to Jason Potter, uh, who lives in Florida. Uh, but, the first, uh, but the firstborn in the house was Michelle. Okay? Was Michelle. And, uh, but I am the old, oldest male by four minutes. So, yes. Uh, we too wrestled in mom's womb. Apparently I won. I don't, I don't know. Or he, he says he kicked me out. I, I say I, I won't, but you know. It's, but growing up, Michelle, Jason, and I here pictured at uh, a track meet. Um, we desired to do right. We, we wanted to make uh, mom and dad proud. You know, living up to the Potter name. My parents went to the same high school that we uh, went to. So they graduated years before us. And so what we did was a reflection of, on, on the family name. Again, we hope to make them proud. Uh, so my parents are getting up there in age, 73 for my dad and 69 for mom. Sorry if that offends anyone here. Uh, and in thinking about my birthright, Father, forgive me when I begin to wonder how much the home in Iowa is worth. Right? <laughs> I've had that thought, and I don't, I'm, not, I'm, I'm ashamed of that thought. Okay? So the birthright, the inheritance, right? I don't wish that my parents, you know, but you begin to wonder about those things as they get up there in age. Uh, then, then I look at my three kids right here. This was taken just yesterday, as it seems, as it seems, right? You know how it goes. We are the potters. We are the potters. And while, uh, while we're living, while they are living in our house, they have rights that will sim- they simply have just by being potters, part of this family, our clan. There are values that we seek to live by, though not perfectly. Mom and dad even violate some of these ourselves. <laughs> and when we do not live up to that, hey, we're potters, we, in that moment, we're settling for less than ideal. We begin to settle. Uh, settle for less than uh, all that could be. All right? We desire to live in such a way that brings honor, dignity to our family. And when we turn from that desire, well, all sorts of things uh, end up out of whack. I don't know if I can get an amen uh, about your own families, but not about ours, <laughs> but, but your own families. Uh, so my family of origin, and then the family that the Lord has blessed us with, uh, I also begin to think about my birthright as a child of the, of the living God. Uh, throughout the sacred scripture, we are reminded just who our creator and our sustainer is. That we have sonship, that we have daughtership, as we have been included into the family of God. And with this idea comes divine right, a birthright. And as we have been born again, as part of uh, the family of God, we have this birthright. Now, throughout scriptures, God is always in the business of calling his people into this birthright. And and we can see this here. I'm going to give three quick, like, Old Testament examples, 
all right, of calling people into their divine rights, into uh, what God has for them. First is Moses, right here, action, action figurine. Moses, in Exodus 3, said, uh, God says to him, so now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. God is inviting Moses into his calling. His destiny as the one who would um, help free his people from the oppressive hand of the Pharaoh. But Moses says, yeah, but who, who, who am I? And later he says, you know, I can't even speak none too good. How can I, how can I even do this? Well, we'll bring Aaron along and help, help you out. Moses is full of reasons that he can't be and do what God has created him to be and to do. Another example from Judges, we have Gideon. The Lord's people are in trouble again. Surprise, surprise. And God is calling Gideon to rescue his people from the hands of the Midianites. And in Judges 6, he says, The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? But, Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. So we see here in Gideon another example of a hesitancy, a giving excuses. Have you seen my family? Have you seen where I come from? I'm from Washington. Okay, not, not funny. Uh, we're the weakest in the land. We are the weakest in the land. Please pick someone else. And then our final example, we have a prophet, Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is in chapter 1 of, of, his, uh, of his book. He's talking about his own experience. The, the word of the Lord came to me and said, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. I am only a child. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and I will rescue you, says, declares the Lord. So God is speaking to Jeremiah of the greatness that lies within him. But I am too young but I am too young. Speaking to him about his destiny, listen, I have set you apart. I have set you apart. So we have these three quick examples with these individuals that keep their list, their reasons, their excuses for not being who God has called them to be. And I'm wondering here this morning, do you keep a list? And if so, what might be on such a list? <clears throat> so we have these individuals, these individual examples. We also see this for uh, the whole group of Jewish people. Um, they have this calling to be what? They have this calling to be a light to the world, a light to the Gentiles. 
to show the rest of the world what their God is like. This is their divine calling. This is their birthright. And when Jesus arrives on the scene, one of, his primary, one of the primary things that he's about, one of the primary things that he does, his ministry is about the invitation to return, to repent, to return to their true calling, their birthright. And that birthright is to show the world what their God is like. And near the end of Jesus' life, we have this, um, Jesus is entering Jerusalem for the last time. Oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who said to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. But you were not willing. Do you sense, do you, do you feel the ache that Jesus has here? Oh, how I longed. Yet, you were not willing. Why do you settle? Why do you settle for less? You were made for so much more. You've lost your way. So Jesus, in his teaching ministry, you know, he doesn't often say, you know, hey, don't do this and don't do that. I mean, there's times he does. But rather, his, his ministry was about invitation. An invitation for all of us to come back home to our true selves, to our true birthright as sons and daughters of God. He wants to call out the greatness that lies within time and time and time again. So I said earlier that the Esau story, the Jacob and Esau story continues through Genesis 33. Um, and we don't have time to cover all of that. But Esau is mentioned in the New Testament, and he's mentioned in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says the following, See that no one is sexual, immoral, or godless like Esau who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could not bring about, or he could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. This verse 16, this, this, this Greek word for, for godless, um, it means to, to profane, to profane. To have nothing to do with God. In seminary, as I was um, finishing up my, my master's degree, um, my final project was to trace the idea of temple language in the old, from the Old to the New Testament. From the Old to the New Testament. And in that study, finding that the ancient world believed strongly that there was a separation between that which was sacred and that which is not sacred, also known as common or secular. The thought was that the, the, the temple is this place where God was. It's his dwelling. It's a sacred space. A space and places were considered holy and sacred, belonging to God. And the rest was just known as common. Common. The word here, profane, 
this godless means to cross a threshold. To take something that is sacred and to cross the threshold and make it common. This passage says that Esau was godless. He despised his birthright, everything he could be, and living like nothing really matters. Living like there is no God. What does it matter if I have this red bowl of lentils? Because there's really no higher purpose in life. I think we commit the sins, the sin of Esau, when we live in such a way that things just don't matter. We are godless when we live with a sense that there's no higher purpose to life. For example, Paul in his first letter to the church in Corinth telling the people that you are sacred, that you matter because you are a temple. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? It's said that when Jesus died, the curtain, the veil was torn in the temple. So that means that everyone could go, everyone could go into the presence of God, but the reverse is true, that God could also go out to reside with and in us in his people. So that there's a sense that what I take into my body, um, what, I'm, what I'm taking into the sacred vessel, what I eat, what I view, my mind, my eyes, my soul, my spirit, it's a reflection of whether I'm here or not, whether I'm, I'm here for a larger purpose or not. It all matters. I want to live up to my birthright because I don't know about you, but I often just go for the bull. I just go for the bull. And when I do, I'm settling for something less than what God desires. So I think that uh, we have an invitation this morning to not go the way of Esau. Because he failed to understand and live into this greater calling, this greater purpose in his life. He gave up his inheritance as a firstborn son. So Jacob gives him what he wants. And Esau got to meet that immediate, that, that momentary craving. And it appears so great, like you have to have it. And once you have it, you find out what it actually is. And it didn't deliver what you wanted it to. It didn't deliver what it promised to deliver to you. I don't pretend to know what that might be for you. Either in the past or perhaps even in the season, what is the bull that your belly is settling for? What's in your bowl? Because it's just lentils. The craving that that which is deepest in you is actually about something else. There's something deeper, there's a deeper desire. The sin of Esau is a momentary surface level desire. An immediate give me that. Because without that, I'm going to die. 
Is there anything like that for you on this day? What bowl are, might you be giving into? So we'll just sit with that question for a bit. It's on the screen. Father, we confess that um, we have gone for the bull over and over and over again. So much so, sometimes it feels like it's the story of our lives. So Father, may we follow the invitation of Jesus to return. To return to um, our birthrights as sons and daughters of the living Christ. So today, may we all choose our birthright over the bull. Amen.